Clarence! Help me, Clarence! Get me back! Get me back! I don't care what happens to me! Get me back to my wife and kids! It's a Wonderful Life began its life in 1943 when a New York College lecturer, Philip Van Doren Stern, wrote a short story and sent it to his friends as a Christmas card. He titled the short story The Greatest Gift, which seems odd because it was about a small town businessman, George Pratt, facing such financial ruin he decides to commit suicide. But Stern lifts the story by including a guardian angel who shows George what life in the small town would have been like had he never existed. Essentially, The Greatest Gift is a reworking of A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, only it is told not from the point of view of the old miser Ebenezer Scrooge, but from the much mistreated Bob Cratchit. Do you know how long it takes a working man to save $5,000? Just remember this, Mr. Potter, that this rabble you're talking about, they do most of the working and paying and living and dying in this community. Dickens himself was drawing on an age-old narrative trick where the author challenges events already established within the story. As a literary genre, it's an offshoot of alternate history and can be traced as far back as the 4th century Rome when Titus Livy hypothesised a world where Alexander the Great expanded his empire west instead of east. So yes, alternate history is a literary genre, but the conceit is used to remind us that our lives are the sum total of our choices. You wouldn't consider coming back to the building alone, would you? I know it's soon to talk about it. No, not Pop. I, I, I couldn't. I, uh, I couldn't face being cooped up for the rest of my life in a shabby little office. The, no, I'm, I'm sorry, Pop. I didn't mean that. I, but I, it, it's this business of nickels and dimes and spending all your life trying to figure out how to save three cents and a length of pipe. I go crazy. I, I want to do something big and something important. As a literary genre, alternate history took a long time to gather speed, but by comparison, cinema grasped it very quickly. An audacious case of alternate history is Quentin Tarantino's Inglorious Bastards, where he rewrote World War II, but it can also be seen pretty much everywhere else, from romantic dramas like Sliding Doors and The Time Traveller's Wife, to teenage psychodramas Donnie Darko and The Butterfly Effect, to sci-fi stories such as The Terminator, The Adjustment Bureau, and of course, this movie. If we could somehow harness this lightning, channel it into the flux capacitor, it just might work. Next Saturday night, we're sending you back to the future. Anyway, back to Van Doren Stern. After his friends received their Christmas cards, his story was published in the magazine Good Housekeeping. Next, Orkeo Pictures came calling for the film rights. They felt it would be an ideal vehicle for Cary Grant, but a workable script proved elusive, so Orkeo sold the project on to the multi-Oscar winning producer-director Frank Capra. Capra ditched the idea of casting Cary Grant, he changed George Pratt to George Bailey, and went about tailoring it for his old pal Jimmy Stewart, whom he had worked with twice before. Under Frank Capra's guidance, a raft of writers reworked the story into a liberal economic policy that had been formulated in the 1930s under President Roosevelt. Roosevelt's policy was called the New Deal and had helped America through the Great Depression. All of which is ironic because Frank Capra himself was no liberal. He was a reactionary and never once voted for Roosevelt. Still, It's a Wonderful Life is imbued with a sense of self-sacrifice, community and charity. It is filled with iconic scenes, not least of which is this one. Now you listen to me. I don't want any plastics, I don't want any ground floors, and I don't want to get married ever to anyone. You understand that? I want to do what I want to do. And you're, 
And you're... The film was a box office disappointment on its initial release and was only revived because of a legal error that occurred when the copyright lapsed. It fell into the public domain where US television stations began showing it because they didn't have to pay any royalties. But is that the sole reason for its durability? Surely there must be something more to its perennial popularity than that. I want to ask just what is it that makes It's a Wonderful Life so enduring? Well, we're told it's big on sentiment and sentiment is a big seller around Christmas. But sentiment is unearned emotion. So to say the film is sentimental is to completely ignore the 15-minute stretch towards the end of the film where George has shown what his hometown would be like had he never lived. Due to his non-existence, the small town he helped develop has flipped over into an urban nightmare. What is worse, everyone George loves, especially his family, have been damaged. Are you sure this is Bailey Park? No, I'm not sure of anything anymore. All I know is this should be Bailey Park. But where are the houses? We weren't here to build them. Your brother, Harry Bailey, broke through the ice and was drowned at the age of nine. That's a lie. Harry Bailey went to war. He got the Congressional Medal of Honor. He saved the lives of every man on that transport. Every man on that transport died. Harry wasn't there to save them because you weren't there to save Harry. You see, George, you really had a wonderful life. Don't you see what a mistake it would be to throw it away? George experiences true terror because in that moment, the full length, breadth and depth of his absence is laid bare. Just as he was not there to save his brother, if George goes through with his suicide now, he will never again be able to help in the lives of his children or his wife. In that way, It's a Wonderful Life shows the wonderful connectedness of us all. It carries the American dream of the individual and manifest destiny. Ah, baby, I knew you'd come through. Now, here's the point. Mary, Mary, you're in on this too. Now listen. Have you got any money? Money? Yeah. Well, a little. Well, now listen. I want you to put every cent you've got into our stock. Do you hear? And George, I may have a job for you. That is, unless you're still married to that broken down building and loan. <laughs> well, this is the biggest thing since radio, and I'm letting you in on the ground floor. Oh, Mary. Mary. Well, I, I'm here. Uh, will you tell that guy I'm giving him the chance of a lifetime? Do you hear? The chance of a lifetime and fuses it with a greater, grander vision. Oh, well, you know what I've always talked about, build things, design new buildings, plan modern cities, all that stuff I've been talking Still about. after that first million before you 30, huh? No, I'll sell half that in cash. Put them together and you have social conscience, something beautifully encapsulated a few years earlier in John Ford's adaptation of John Steinbeck's Pulitzer Prize-winning novel, The Grapes of Wrath. Fellow ain't got a soul of his own, just a little piece of a big soul. The one big soul that belongs to everybody. It's a Wonderful Life reminds us that a person matters because what we do impacts on other people. And if we decide to go, all that we leave behind is a void. So we choose to live. And that is the greatest gift. Help me, Terrence, please. Please. I want to live again. I want to live again. I want to live again. Please, God, let me live again.